Hey everyone, welcome to Taking the Pulse, a healthcare podcast. I'm Heather Hoops Matthews here with the Nexon Pruitt Healthcare Attorney Matthew Roberts. And today, Matthew, we have a, a different sort of topic that we're going to talk about. We're talking about the fair market valuation of healthcare practices and businesses and assets. Why is this important? Well, valuation is common in business, but it's particularly important with healthcare because of how highly regulated healthcare is. And so the relationship between a hospital, our healthcare system, and a physician uh, is very regulated by the federal government. So what a hospital can pay that physician who makes referrals is evaluated, and it needs to be consistent with fair market value, and the terms need to be commercially reasonable. And over the last decade, this, this focus on that relationship and federal enforcement uh, of situations that the government didn't agree with has caused people to use healthcare valuation uh, companies to help document that what they're paying their physicians, whether it be in employment compensation or in other some some other type of uh, financial arrangement, is is consistent with fair market value, is commercially reasonable and is compliant with what the federal government's looking at in terms of its regulation of this relationship. This would be for all hospitals and physicians? Everybody, everybody. And so what makes sense in the normal business world where you pay people who generate business for you as much as you can and you pay people who create business referrals to you is a non-starter in healthcare. You can't do that. So uh, the healthcare providers need to be able to, to have consultants to help them frame their relationships with physicians who create the referrals to make sure that they're not paying too much. Uh. So it's 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 a little counterintuitive. It's, it's very yeah. it's very unique to the the healthcare system in America. Well, it'll be interesting to learn more about that today. And after this break, we're going to dive into the valuation sector with Will Hamilton of Buckhead FMV. So stay with us for taking the pulse. Welcome back to Taking the Pulse. Joining us today is Will Hamilton with Buckhead FMV. He is a healthcare valuation consultant who has worked with nonprofit and for-profit healthcare systems, physician groups, private equity and venture-backed healthcare companies, and healthcare attorneys like Matthew across the United States. Will, thank you for joining us today. For our audience, especially lay people like me, could you explain exactly what you do and how that helps the healthcare industry? Okay, so so what we do is is appraise uh, healthcare businesses, assets, and services, um, and there's there's really two main drivers of of that work, that appraisal or, or valuation work, that highlight what make it what makes it important um, in healthcare. Uh, one, which is I think um, you know something that that makes it valuable across all industries, is making a good business decision. So knowing what something is worth. Um, you know, a range of what to pay for it um, helps foster good business decisions. Um, but then specifically in healthcare, a big one is, is compliance. Um, as Matthew mentioned in the intro, um, you know, healthcare regulations such as the Stark Law and a kickback statute, as well as, you know, nonprofit tax and private inurement issues, corporate practice of medicine, fee splitting laws in some states. I mean, there's a whole regulatory framework that that creates a need to um, to ensure that, that financial arrangements between physicians and hospitals and, and really any kind of healthcare provider um, is fair market value and commercially reasonable. So, um, you know, anybody that refers patients to each other, you know, need to be able to, if questioned, uh, defend um, the fact that the relationship meets those two requirements. 
Will, can you give us some examples of, of what type of clients you represent and what type of projects specifically uh, that you do valuation services for? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, as far as, as clients, um, you know, our sweet spot is really hospitals and health systems just because they're such big, complex organizations um, that, you know, have a lot of different financial arrangements with, with, diff with other healthcare providers. Um, but we also work with physicians. So oftentimes, you know, there's kind of this one side or the other where it's, you know, hospitals and health systems negotiating with physicians. Um, we work with both, you know, our work, we, we pride ourselves on the fact that we come up with the same answer, no matter which party hires us. Um, and, and, you know, outside of, of that, you know, kind of key relationship, um, we also, you know, work with other, basically any kind of healthcare service provider. Um, you know, there, there's always, um, you know, need, need for um, defending financial arrangements, with, which can often be, you know, quite complex. Um, and, you know, we're usually, we're typically engaged through attorneys to maintain, to maintain privilege. Um, as far as the types of projects, so, um, you know, we work on a lot of just kind of straight acquisitions of businesses, as you can imagine, uh, joint ventures, minority interest, buy-in, buy-out transactions, um, some dispute-related work. So if, if owners of a business, you know, have a, an, a disagreement about something, um, and, you know, the, there's a transaction because of that, you know, what we call business divorce sometimes, um, we'll get involved. Uh, and, and then as far as, you know, we do a lot of service valuation too. So, um, you know, healthcare providers and their arrangements with other service providers, um, and that's just driven by, you know, establishment of new services or, you know, a periodic need to review um, the arrangement, um, you know, types of businesses, I mean, it's really any healthcare service, physician practices, hospitals are, you know, very common engagements for us, ASCs, imaging, dialysis centers, cancer centers, home health hospitals, I mean, just pretty much anything um, healthcare service related. Um, lately, we've been working on a lot of multi-provider networks like CINs, um, you know, some outsourced service providers to the healthcare industry, so it's really anything. Um, and in, in related to that, we'll also look at not just the whole business, but um, individual assets occasionally. So maybe um, there's a transaction where it just involves the machinery and equipment of a healthcare business, or sometimes even intangible assets like a certificate of need in some states. Um, that may be something that needs to be looked at individually, or um, a non-compete agreement, or a trade name, you know, those kinds of things we look at too. Um, and for so that's kind of the, the business side of things. And then on the service side, you know, a lot of it, the big thing is physician compensation. So, you know, employment, call coverage, medical directorships. Um, but we also look at management service arrangements, um, management service organizations, subsidy arrangements um, with like an anesthesia group or an emergency room doctor group where the amount that they're able to bill payers, you know, isn't enough to ensure fair market value compensation. So the hospital pays a stipend, we'll look at those. Um, you know, some arrangements, you know, we'll look at a technical professional fee split. And this, this is getting kind of technical, I guess, but, you know, some services are billed on a global basis. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the billing provider outsources one component of the service. So we'll, you know, determine that split. Um, so, I mean, there's just all kinds of different diverse uh, relationships in healthcare, and that's what makes, you know, 
focusing specifically on healthcare important and also interesting. That is a wide area, Will, and I'm curious, I was going to ask you before I even knew how wide it was, but, you know, COVID has impacted almost everything. Every conversation that we have, it's had some sort of kink um, in the armor of everything. What about with, with what you're doing? Is it, would fewer people be wanting to sell or change hands right now, or is that an increase? Am I exactly opposite? So that's, I mean, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I'm not sure we really know, um, but we, you know, we definitely saw a, a pretty sharp dip in, you know, new business when, you know, the, the shutdowns first happened. You know, I think everybody, um, our clients included, were focused on more pressing issues um, and not necessarily looking at making acquisitions um, or, or, you know, new acquisitions at the time. You know, we still had, you know, ongoing work, you know, that, that you know, we didn't really have anything that got, you know, delayed um, because of it. Um, you know, as far as going forward, you know, th there might be more, more sellers, you know, who maybe financially distressed sellers, but it seems like, you know, at least what we're seeing is it's more or less, you know, back to, to business as usual. I mean, I mean, you know, electric procedures have started up again, um, from at least, you know, the, the bits and pieces that I've heard, it seems like, um, you know, there's maybe some pent up demand and everybody's pretty busy. So, um, you know, there may be some continued softness in that M&A activity, but, you know, the overall trend seems to be towards um, more of it. Well, the regulatory framework that is one of the catalysts of the need for it hasn't gone away. Mm -hmm. It's, there's a, I guess, temporary rep reprieve in some aspects that we'll talk about in a minute, but with, with the providers being impacted the way they have, you mentioned they've had to stop in some cases elective procedures. That affects the physician's productivity, and in many cases, employee physicians' productivity addresses their comp. So how have you seen COVID impact the evaluation of fair market value of an employed physician when they've been shut down for three months, yet do they get paid less? Do they continue to get paid the same? What's, the, what, what's, what's from a valuation standpoint, how are you looking at that? So, I mean, to be honest, I mean, we haven't, we, we obviously are, you know, aware of that issue and in, in thinking about it, um, haven't, I, you know, haven't had to address it yet. I think we will, you know, in, in the latter half of this year more um, as, as, as far as, you know, looking at, at you know, what, what's actually actually being paid. Because I think, you know, a lot of physicians out there, you know, they've got kind of a base in bonus structure. Um, you know, they're still getting their base, but their bonuses are going to be lower than in the past, not necessarily you know, through something in, in their control. So I think, you know, some providers are looking at making up for that um, in, in some ways, but, you know, others, others I think aren't. Um, so, you know, I, I think it just depends, um, you, you know, that that's as much a business decision as it is um, a fair market value consideration. I mean, it's certainly important from compliance because, um, you, you know, oftentimes, you know, higher compensation or higher pro productivity leads to, you know, it gives us the ability to support higher compensation. And so with that not being there this year, obviously that's a challenge, but there's a very good reason for it. So, um, it, you know, I think a lot of kind of the traditional framework is it's a little bit out the window this year. Um, it, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see how it all uh, uh, shakes out. What, take, taking COVID aside, putting that aside for a second, what, what's y'all's position 
been on the issue of physician productivity if there are operating losses within a physician practice unit. Uh, this has been something that's been litigated over the last several, I don't know, eight or nine years. When you have an employed physician and the practice unit that they're in shows operating losses, but yet you continue to pay the physician based on their personal productivity, um, that's caused some, some people concern about, well, can you pay a physician more or the same when there are operating losses associated with that practice? And there's some good explanations for that. And frankly, there's some disagreement within valuation consultants on this. But uh, what do you think, Will? How do y'all look at that that scenario? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely understand and see both sides of it. I mean, it's it's hard, you know, it, it can be hard to, particularly on the commercial reasonableness um, element of it, which, you know, we haven't talked about a whole lot, but um, it's, it's you know, it can be challenging to say that, that uh, an employment arrangement is commercially reasonable when it results in a loss. Um, but in healthcare, it's, um, you know, the, the, there's a, a wide diversity in 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 payer mix in um, you know the level of indigent care and that kind of thing um, ac across you know the, the spectrum um, in in you know types of employers um, in the opportunities that that are available for independent docs versus employed docs um, so you know the the fact that a practice shows a loss, I don't think it necessarily means that, you know, the, the provider, it, it certainly doesn't necessarily mean that, that the providers are being paid too much. Particularly, particularly when about 90 plus percent of employed physicians do show a loss on a, on a, on, in the accounting purposes. Really? Yeah. Well, you, you, you don't have the ancillaries that you used to get when they were in private practice, x-rays or other things. Those aren't factored into the comp because they can't be because of the regulatory framework. So those don't get counted. And, they, and it shows on an accounting spreadsheet as a loss, an operating loss for that individual physician. So it's, 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 it's sort of a, 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 it's inside baseball, as we say, and highly technical, but it's an issue that we keep dealing with um, in this industry and we hope to get some regulatory help and guidance. We, I guess we have gotten some recently with the most recent start changes that indicated that definitively, if you had a loss, that does not mean that by itself that you're you know, in noncompliance. It just may depend on the situation. Because it seems like I'm seeing more and more physicians being employed. Oh yeah, no doubt about by that. A hospital. I mean, no, you know, no doubt about that. More and more every year, it's it's definitely going in that direction of integration, which is one of the reasons why you know hospitals need and physicians need folks like Will, because that relationship is the number of those relationships increasing, the complexity of the relationship is increasing, you know, year year by year. Will, what makes a healthy? Or no, you go ahead. I was just going to add to that that you know one interesting component of that is that the losses you know often are due to things outside of the physician's control. Um, so the cost structure, if they're employed by a hospital of the practice, you know that's not something in private practice they have complete control over that. Uh, as in employment, they don't. Um, you know, and, and then and then also the the types of patients that they see. I mean. You know, they, they don't have control over that when they're employed, but they might in private practice. So that if you're if you're in rural, name the place, uh, and the payer mix is not as good as it in a more developed area, you still need general surgeons. You still need an emergency room I physician. See. You still need a gastroenterologist, and it's going to cost some amount of money to get people to move there. Right. And so, and if due to volume and due to payer mix, you, you can't you know make that relationship um, profitable. It's 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 hard to justify that that's somehow illegal. And as a, again, as a patient, I forget that's regulated by the federal government. Right, right. it is. Um, yeah. 
Well, what makes a healthy, or uh, what are some practices that add for good valuation for a healthcare practice or hospital? What data points are you yes. looking at when you're yes. when you're looking at that help you make the most accurate value valuation? Okay, so as as far as um, the data sources that we use, um, so you know we rely a lot on information provided by our, our clients or in the in the you know the the case of a an acquisition, you know the the target um, entity that's looking at being acquired. Um, so you know. We, we gather a, a wide range of, of data that you know varies significantly in uh, quality and reliability. Um, but then, in, you know, one of the key things is comparing that you know internal data to um, external market data. So, um, you know, on the services side, we look at a lot of uh, survey data. So, from national compensation surveys, um, you know, there's specialty specific associations that publish surveys related to their specific specialty, which can be um, really helpful. Um, there's more focused surveys on call coverage or medical directorships. Um, so part of being an evaluation person is, is having access to all of those resources. Um, and then also, you know, knowing how to apply it. So what, knowing what the survey is, what it isn't, what it's, you know, collection methodologies were, what's included um, as compensation um, specifically in, and what is it? And then also, you know, making sure that you're not double counting certain things. So that can make it challenging and interesting. Um, we also look at a lot of reimbursement data. So Medicare rates for specific services, bundles of services um, is kind of a, a key um, area that we need to be comfortable with, with what's out there in terms of, of data. Um, and then for business valuations, um, you know, we look at a lot of, of, of data from uh, uh, public equity markets, you know, the stock, stock market, I think traditionally in business valuation, that's kind of a primary source of data, um, but it's kind of hard to come by specifically in healthcare because there just aren't that many public healthcare companies. So, um, you know, we need to use, use private market data when we can. I mean, that's more comparable anyway, because we're mostly looking at private transactions. Um, so it's not, you know, a company where the stock is sold on 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 the New York Stock Exchange or or, or the Nasdaq, um, and and we actually have a affiliated company called Scope, Scope Research, where you know we basically compile publicly available data from private healthcare M and A transactions. Um, so you know it just involves cross referencing a lot of different public data sources um, like press releases, uh, SEC filings. Um, bond market research, documentation from lawsuits and attorney general um, reviews and things like that. And then combining it with healthcare specific resources that are only available in healthcare, like certificate of need filings, you know, those have a lot of financial information, um, you know, deal prices, things like that, uh, Medicare cost reports, public health. I mean, there's just one, one nice thing about healthcare is there's a ton of public data um, that isn't available in other industries. One of the things that's surprising to folks who are not in the healthcare industry is this data set that's out there, this public data, and the surveys they look at. So they get uh, unbelievable amounts of data on physician compensation that's broken down by geography, by subspecialty, mm. um, and they get it uh, to a very fine level. And so that's actually good in a way, but it's, it's bad in a way because it's, 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 it's such a large data set that if you have something that's not consistent with it, it's hard to disprove it. 
Will, could you talk a little bit about two key concepts that exist and how y'all work to, because this is it's usually the touchstone of each valuation opinion, the definition of fair market value, which is different under healthcare than it may be to two people, you know, negotiating over the sale of a used car, and then the definition of commercial reasonableness and how that affects your valuations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the um, the general definition of a fair market value that's used in the general business world, um, it's it's actually, I, mean, I think it got started kind of in, in tax-related um, work, so like gift and estate tax, that kind of thing. Um, but it's, it's the, the price at which a property um, or service would change hands between a willing buyer and willing seller, each having you know, full information, um, full knowledge of the relevant uh, facts. Um, and, and so that's the general definition, but then in healthcare, um, specifically with the Stark Law, an, added, an, an additional element is added, which is the, you know, the price, it, it, it's the same kind of you know, price between willing buyer, willing seller, but then also, um, the caveat that it, it's that that willing buyer and seller are not in a position to generate business for each other. So they're not in any kind of referral relationship. So you, you have to make sure that it meets that standard in the absence of referrals. Um, and, the, and that gets, you know, that seems kind of straightforward, but there's some, some nuance to it when you get into, you know, the wide range of, of different situations and relationships that exist out there. Um, and, and one of the kind of ambiguity, ambiguities about the, the general definition, you know, this willing buyer, willing seller, you know, can that be a specific buyer um, or a, you know, sp specific seller? Does it have to be kind of this hypothetic general buyer seller and what does that mean? So um, specifically in healthcare, you know, um, buyers can, change the economics of a business, um, you know, whether it's through hospital outpatient pricing, so an increased reimbursement, um, or through 340B pricing. Uh, so in other words, getting um, drugs at a lower cost, um, or even, even nonprofit status. So you know, a lot of acquirers are nonprofit health systems. They don't have to pay taxes. Can that be considered in, um, you know, those types of things are a pretty firm no. Um, because they're, they're items that are afforded uh, to a specific type of, of organization. So a, a nonprofit, you know, a health system that meets certain requirements um, and to allow a private enterprise to benefit from those, those kind of exceptions um, would, would be inappropriate. Um, so, uh, but, but there's also less clear examples like where, you know, the buyer might have there might be two or like in, in dialysis, you know, there's two or three really big dialysis companies that control 90% of the market and they have great reimbursement from commercial payers. And they have great supply price and they compete against each other for every dialysis transaction. And so in those cases, the, the their better reimbursement and supplies, I mean, at least to some extent gets baked into what they're willing to pay. And, and I think that that something like that would beat the fair market value standard. So it, it there's definitely nuance to this um, on the fair market value side. And then commercial reasonableness is, you know, a, a whole nother thing um, where that definition really gets back to, you know, does the arrangement make commercial sense 
even in the aspen, even in the aspen, uh, even in the absence of of referrals. So it's not just the price, um, you know, a fair market value price, but also does the the service actually make or business make make business sense? Um, kind of a it, a classic example would be, um, you know, a, a medical directorship where the hourly rates paid by, you know, a, a health system to a, a physician are, are fair market value, but the physician isn't needed um, or, the, or the assumed hours are just way too high. Um, that would make it not commercially reasonable. And so that's kind of a different level of analysis. And that's been litigated, you know, hundreds of times across the country by the government and um, whistleblowers uh, attacking different relationships between physicians and hospitals and physicians and physicians. So it's, it keeps it keeps Will and his colleagues busy yes. because we rely so much on, on their input on that. It's an you know, independent third-party evaluation of it. Yes. Well, what we do know is we're always going to need health care. And so, Will, it sounds like you are in a good field. We are always going to need valuation experts as well. You have um, been generous with your time today, Will, and we thank you for joining us on Taking the Pulse. Uh, wish you the best as you and your family continue to weather COVID as well. All right. Thank you both. Matthew, this is a complex area, but an interesting area, especially if you haven't really thought about the changing right. of hands of the ownership of yeah. physician yeah, practices, we've seen hospitals. A, it's, it's one of the more um, complicated aspects of the regulatory framework for healthcare providers. And with the consolidation that we've seen over the last decade right. um, in, of hospitals and hospitals and physicians in the hospitals, this has become a much, much more pressing issue. It's a huge risk area for hospitals. We didn't go into a lot of that, but the risk of paying in excess of fair market value or having an arrangement that's not commercially reasonable is, is extreme. There could be criminal violations. Really? Huge civil penalties. So there's a lot at stake here, and that's why it's so important, and that's why people spend a lot of time and energy to make sure they do it right. Right. But it's not, this is not, there, there's agreement, there is an opportunity to disagree, and that's what makes it complicated. So there's, there's no exactly, this is fair market value by law, it's, there's some subjectivity to it, and that makes it more complicated. Well, and it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next six months, 12 right. months, with the impact of COVID and how, you know, the landscape continues to change. I'm sure yes. we'll, like, talking about it for a while. We will. Yes. We will. Well, thank you for joining us today on Taking the Pulse, a healthcare podcast. We hope to see you next time. <laughs>